That was that was hilarious. <laughs> that was also like when I saw that, I was like, "What the fuck is it? like?" It is just like baffling. Like I l- like listened to this podcast and wrote down all the mistakes or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. Is, it is like stupid. Like her complaint is is pretty stupid. Yeah, I mean, it's like they do. On one hand, it's like okay, they make money yeah. and like are like s- saying more facts like than we. It's like yeah. if we went out of our way to be like, this is the hundred percent factually true podcast <laughs> about I've, the Farrelly brothers. I mean, yeah. I think we don't really. I mean, we're not really hiding that we're not bringing a terrible amount of like background information to the table oh, yeah. on some things, but. I mean, I mean, oh, in terms of us, no. We, we, if we ever got fact checked, it's like the same show. Would have, it's just yeah, funny no, that it exactly. happens to them. Yeah, yeah but it's yeah. just like it's you. You couldn't happen to a better guy. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's like what I'm saying is that they're presenting more of like uh, I don't know, more of a, a lay of the land, like that they yeah. know the shit. I, I think the the really defensive. This is a comedy podcast <laughs> thing was very funny. Yeah. Um, but just pretending to side with the woman who's writing the book about Elaine May was also very funny. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's uh, funny. Yeah, because that's like, great. yeah, I'm sure she is like definitely way more informed about Elaine May. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also like getting that mad uh, as to annotate a two-hour podcast uh, just to show how wrong someone is. <laughs> like I wouldn't even do that. And yeah, you guys no. have seen how psycho I can get online sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wouldn't even do that. I mean, we're we're avowed blank check haters, and I've not I've not listened to more than two minutes of the podcast. I've tried ever to in get material life. to yeah. like to to like talk about to shit talk it, and it's not worth it. I think I'm gonna hold my tongue on on BC for a minute, though. I don't want to appear too salty. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. I mean, look, season three of Bank Check is imminent, regardless. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's that's I no, we're not let, we're not changing who we are. Yeah. Let's not let's not get it twisted. Yeah, but, I just pay them no mind. Pay them no mind. Griffin exactly. Newman has me blocked. That's and, true. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, at that point. We're mature, man. Out of know? sight, out of mind. Look, we, two different paths. You walk down yours, I walk down mine. If they ever want to like extend an olive branch <laughs> and make peace with us, they can. But I'm always willing to break. It's fucking Easter, you know what I mean? I'm always willing to break bread. I don't know why we're listening to the Offspring while recording the podcast. <laughs> which we now are doing. Yeah. Welcome to the After Hours. This is the first session in the Nudio. Not really. This is like the temporary digs. This is the. The Grandma's Boy Studio uh, in beautiful Winnetka, California. A lot of people don't know about Winnetka. That's you know, you you tell you know a person who lives in L.A. their whole life, tell them you know about Winnetka, they're not going to know about it. Home of the Extended Clip Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> not what I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Thought you were going to hit the trivia. I mean, I don't, I don't know that much shit about Flying Lotus. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. If you listen yeah. to that BBC Essential mix, you hear that British robot, Winnetka, California. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think, but I think doesn't he have a song called Winnetka or something? Probably, like that? yeah, probably. Anyway, <laughs> go listen to that. I think I have to turn off the VHS, yeah. uh, the VCR rather, or at least pause it for now. Although I don't want the image to burn into the screen like the olden days. Uh, but, you know, if an image from Citizen Kane were to get burned into my grandmother's TV... You're only would... improving her TV, exactly. yeah. Exactly. Would she complain? I don't think so. <laughs> no, she'd have a fucking... It, it, it elevates what it is. It, you turned a TV into a goddamn painting, you know what I mean? That is so <laughs> true. <laughs> I left my notes over there. You guys can talk. Okay. So, 
Is now no. the t- okay? So, all right, JT, I've been wanting. To, so we we just listened to the Offspring. You just listened to the Offspring for the first time ever. You never heard an Offspring well, song. I have. I, <laughs> I, What's I your live reaction while listening to it? That I had listened to Get a Job, but it's great. I think they're my new favorite band. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, that's glad. <laughs> that's that's good to hear because I'm um we wouldn't have played that if you you know yeah we didn't want you to enjoy it. I already ordered on Amazon like a nice offspring T-shirt to wear, so I'm I'm ready. You know, in, in Pretty Fly for a white guy, he talks about going to a tattoo parlor, and you know there, there's a mix-up. Like he pays for a tattoo that says like 13, and he gave him 31. And you know, thinking about like bridging the gap between my middle school self and my middle-aged period that I'm approaching, <laughs> 26 to 32 years old. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Hmm. Uh, Interesting. I, I think there's something of a wrap around, uh, like yeah. you know, in in these middle points of my life, that the offspring might be what holds it all together. So you, you know, I've been getting back into golf. I golfed in eighth grade. That's when I started. I just I love rock music again. I nice. I have a feverant. Lo- I'm just in a in the th- deep throes of a passionate love affair with country music, and that's not something I liked as a middle schooler. But that's something that traditionally more middle aged men enjoy. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> JT, you're about to chime in. No, I mean it's just so your hypothesis there is that like middle age is returning to your middle school self, <laughs> but also liking things that old people like. I buy it, man. Yeah. Damn, is that's like uh so you're getting in touch with your inner child, you would say. <laughs> no. <laughs> you're you're acting a little more childish nowadays. <laughs> you know, you, you kinda you're a little bit more whimsical. You kinda instead of walking around you might skip somewhere. <laughs> yes, you got me. You gotta be good. I'm almost crying laughing at that. That is so funny. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny. I'm literally crying. The light is very heavy to be fair. You're not going to get film criticism like this anywhere else. All right. Yeah, yeah. That was intense. I, you know, I looked over at you and I didn't notice. Like, there's a, there is a lot of light on Eddie, and you know, I'm, I'm glad it, you know, it wasn't just me perceiving something that wasn't there. I was getting the interrogation treatment. Yeah. Lights on me now. Yeah, I'm, you know, uh, shout I'm out ready. to Lex G Podcast. I felt like I was being shot by Robbie Richardson <laughs> in the uh, interrogation <laughs> sheen. That was rough. The bald head, my receding hairline ever so slightly uh, was definitely on full display there. But we're still figuring things out here at the Grandma's <laughs> Boy Studio. We don't know the lighting setup proper yet, but we know the sound setup. I think it sounds good. Yeah, it's, I mean... Listen, JT, listen to this through your headphones right now. Does this sound good? That sounds great. <laughs> That's the best you've ever sounded before. <laughs> that is such good news. <laughs> the studio's making a lot of big changes already. It really is. We're not is. even talking about movies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we are. We are. We are. Okay. We're off that. Where East is East. That is the topic of today's After Hours episode. It's a silent film by Todd Browning. Now, Malcolm, you brought a Todd Browning film uh, to the pod, you know, a while back with the unknown. This is another Browning mm-hmm. Cheney joint. Uh, 
Well, tell us a little bit about this one. Just, just yeah. the vibe. Set the, set the plate for us. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I was going to go plot description. Oh, no, you can do that, too. No, I, well, I, I want to go at it from a different angle, maybe. I want to go vibe description here. And the, there's, a, there's a plot, of course, but what's going on here is Lon Chaney's daughter is, you know, she'll be talking to her boyfriend, and Chaney will just be snarling in the room. And then kind of the woman who's out to seduce... Um, the, the daughter's boyfriend is also kind of lurking around. And that, that's mostly the vibes of the movie. Yeah, I feel like it's this thing where I realized the plot description I had read beforehand hadn't really set up until like 45 minutes into this like 60 minute movie. And I was like, oh, this really was just like these vibes, just hanging out. You have the major players. You kind of know where the major tensions lie between these major players. And you kind of like Browning just kind of lets all of these actors just snarl at each other. And uh, it's a it's a it's been described a lot as a masochistic film. And I think the way that Cheney's character really domineers over everyone in this film is quite masochistic. And uh, I think Brownie's ca- uh, Browning's camera uh, really accompanies that, too. It's like. I don't know. It feels very oppressive. These sets, you know. <laughs> to get to the vibes and like the oppressive quality of it, there's like there's so many shots of just like animals like lurking around, True. skulking yeah. about, and being like, I don't know. That sets a very ominous tone for the film, and also it's something where I feel like it happens a lot in early uh, cinema that I really love because it's like. The motherfuckers weren't seeing like tigers and elephants anywhere before. Like this is the first time like early silent cinema. It's so cool because they're like, you're going to see animals and cultures (laughs) and shit like this. I mean, cultures like depicted racistly usually. Yeah. But like, I I don't know. It's just the fun of people having not seen a variety of things yet and exposing them to that. Also, it's kind of to bounce off of that with like kind of all the animals, and that is a fun aspect, especially the kind of the the creepier, faker looking animal. Like you know, is one of them's one the gorilla, right? That's someone obviously. That's someone. Yeah, is. That, that wasn't a real gorilla. Right? <laughs> no, I think the contrast between yeah. it being like showing off real animals and being a gorilla suit movie yeah. is awesome. Like no, that, that's such a cool contrast because it's like yeah, that silent film thing of showing stuff off, even in this fake version of Laos, you know, get this nice set going and, you know, describing, uh, oh, so here we're on the border of Indochina, you know, uh, <laughs> we're in, Thai- now we're in Vietnam, which is, I think the title card described it as like Chinese tradition, but French rules, which is like, <laughs> maybe, maybe not, but, you know, 1929 Americans didn't know quite what Vietnam even was, you know, yeah. so I, I think the kind of like exploration of the world, it's spaces and its creatures is like an awesome you know just like entryway into a very heavy drama as yeah. well yeah what's the, what's the plot well the, well the plot i just asked i'll ask that question and i'll answer it and i'll answer do it, it. but i i guess uh what what's the 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 the, the young couple's name because i know tiger and or to, toyo right lon cheney is tiger haynes he plays a trapper in laos an american trapper in laos and his daughter's name is Toyo. And Toyo is, you know, she's getting a little flirty with this boy named Bobby. So they they want to eventually get married. Bobby, you know, he's in the same line of work as Lon Chaney's character. He's the 
son of like someone yeah. who has like a circus i think oh yeah, okay yeah. yeah oh that's what it is yeah because that's how lon chaney knew that guy for a long time yeah your father used to buy animals from me a long time ago yeah so he he definitely old timed him that <laughs> on that scene but so that dynamic is set up right away the classic meet the parents kind of thing <laughs> uh but very intense you know this is lon chaney who is playing these silent film you know monster type characters and here he's just an angry dad, you know. Yeah, who's who's like face is scratched up from, you know, trapping. Yeah. So it's so <laughs> it, it, it gives him a very gruff demeanor, and it is like you know with the Lon Chaney movies I've seen Browning, like the unknown. You know, he's d- doing a very big uh, physical affectation in that one, and kind of this one he's kind of more i don't know normal mode so to speak but mm-hmm. i guess the scratches is kind of like his big flare yeah that he's mm-hmm. parading around and i guess what I, I find interesting about browning's movies and it's very reflective of its time period a lot of them were about the circus and even when it this movie's not technically about the circus it's about like kind of like time in between the circus or mm. like how the animals get to the circus <laughs> you know what i mean and i and i think the circus you know you know to those filmmakers points was just a much bigger part of people's lives back then like much more people were employed by circuses and stuff like that so it's just like they're like damn we got to make movies about our surroundings we yeah. got to make some I mean I feel shit. like it's a, a classic link to like sort of vaudeville tradition in that yeah, sense exactly like what what were entertainers doing before that kind of thing was recorded exactly is that yeah. kind of thing the circus and vaudeville type performances so the circus is yeah uh the the link back home here <laughs> uh but here in laos uh they're, they're gonna get on a boat to singapore together uh lon cheney and his prospective son-in-law and on that boat they meet this floozy <laughs> <laughs> what, what is her name again the, uh. the silent vamp of this movie uh the femme fatale so the woman on the boat this this madame de sylvia uh, Bobby keeps saying to her, there's something about your eyes that <laughs> I can't quite place. <laughs> You're just so different from the yeah. other girls. And so if you go on Letterboxd, a lot of people will say like, oh, this movie's like pretty racist. And it's like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, it's just like racist depictions. And like, also, the one thing that is interesting about this, and I won't just say this is so racist. This is just something I haven't seen before. Uh, when those characters speak either Vietnamese or, you know, Chinese, uh, they're the inner titles are just the characters unsubtitled, uh, from that language that they're speaking, you know? And then you just get like a reaction shot of Lon Chaney. Like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's like kind of funny. But, it's, uh, it's a, it's a formally interesting way to be racist. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any I thoughts? Like, I like. I, yeah, let me follow. All right, JT. No, I mean, I feel like it's it is different. I was JT. I've been, I've been watching a lot of uh, silent Fords recently, mm. okay. and I feel like it is less racist than them than in. JT couldn't remember the name of the movie, but it was uh, the Iron Horse. <laughs> and so, anyways, they're uh, they're like some Chinese railroad workers, and that it's just an approximation of them doing like a racist sort of English voice, and that like I don't know, that feels more offensive than having the text in like a different language. There. Yeah, I mean, this one, th- this film does have that as well, yeah. where there will be characters speaking in like affected, you know, accented. Uh, 
English, broken English. But, you know, all that aside, I, I think it's just something to kind of dive into and then mm-hmm. kind of have that in the back of your head as you kind of watch this film. It's, it's, it's right there. So it kind of has to be in the back of your head yeah. while you're watching this film. Well, yeah, it's, it also just, it con- you know, it just kind of complicates things. It just makes exactly. it a much more interesting thing just seeing how, I don't know, what Todd Browning and whatever and- script writer's conception of Chinese culture clash, clash with yeah. Lon Chaney. And I mean, like, while it is sort of like a grab bag mix of like Asian cultures that they're just sort of yeah. like aping there, it is interesting to see that like Cheney and Toyo are like living in the midst of that culture. I think mm-hmm. that is like an interesting contrast with like um, them and her fiance, Bobby, who's definitely like presenting like more westernized. Yeah. No, Bobby's like a classic, like, you know, he looks like the po- he could be on the poster of The Thin Man. You know, he's like a classic <laughs> Hollywood, you know, uh, you know, he's an upstart. He, he's going to go go to the city, get a big job and be the star of the movie. Uh, but being in this milieu, he's just like the least interesting character because yeah. you have these two women and you have Lon Chaney and it's just so steamy and like angry. Yeah. And uh, like he's just the pussy getter. Yeah. <laughs> so Bobby on the boat and actually before we get to the boat i wanted to point out that some camera movement like as the two guys are getting on the boat and toyo is like waving goodbye to them it's just this shot reverse shot of her and then the guys on the boat and the camera is just like pulling away in this incredibly dramatic like sweeping i don't know a crane or you know whether the camera was suspended like murnau did well i don't know what the fuck he did but it's a very slow and steady pullback on each end, and it's just stunning. And then you get on the boat, and there's this beautiful rear projection when you first get on it, where Lon Chaney's just uh, with that rear projection of the sea passing by behind him. Really, some of the most incredible camera work of the movie, for sure. And that scene, like, it stands out to me because it is like that scene kind of lasts maybe like 30 seconds longer than mm-hmm. it would just because Browning obviously wants to, you know, get some visual tricks going off here. Like that touch where, uh, Bobby kind of separates from the Lon Chaney character and goes to the upper deck and like so so he could wa- wave away to her privately or something just kind of like I don't know something like that as an excuse to get more camera moves um you know it stands out in a very short and condensed movie like this so Bobby is obviously very taken by this woman this mysterious woman and her very mysterious eyes what is it about those because he says it like three times and it's just cool. it's like she's an Asian woman she's not white she's, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what it is she she's not a white woman well that you know it's that's it reminds me of like someone comes up to old tiger Lon Chaney and while uh, Bobby's you know flirting He's like, no, those white boys are easy or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. <laughs> There's some great lines about like, the, you know, stop the white boy stuff like that. <laughs> you know, white boys on the boat going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this white boy's on the boat, absolutely going crazy. <laughs> and that's what these boys are doing. Bobby is ultimately seduced by Madame de Silvia, and they have a big romantic, uh, not even romantic, just straight erotic kissy, and. Uh, you know, you know who's there to peep on them, old Daddyo, old Lon Chaney. He catches them in the act. Oh, that's uh, amazing! Where he's just behind the door there. Yeah, because oh my God. <laughs> so the chronology of it is, yeah, th- he's seduced by her completely. They don't actually kiss though. He leaves. Then Lon Chaney comes in, gives the exposition that this lady, Madame de Silvia, is Toyo's uh, mother. 
yeah. Lon Chaney's ex who ran off after the baby was born. And so now, you know, she's trying to seduce the the uh, future husband of her daughter. And so Lon Chaney, of course, this just makes him more snarling and oh angry. <laughs> I was just thinking about it, like, I'd be so fucking pissed off yeah. if this happened yeah. to me. This, this is, is like a Pornhub setup exactly. type deal. It's This is intense. Yeah. And so he is just seething and sits behind the bl- the curtain or whatever as Bobby comes back in and is once again uh, seduced. And, you know, that's when the kiss happens and the, the caught in the act. And uh, it just like keeps getting more intense from there. <laughs> like yeah. the, the, the love. It's not even a love. It's like a love triangle plus one, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it's just this love triangle with Lon Chaney, the star of it, watching over, just disapproving of everything going on as the mom then just comes back to the island with them. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to see what happens, you know? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, I think that I've, I like the mom twist, of course, and like it makes the tensions so much more interesting, like something like, uh, I don't know, like Chaney breaking up you know uh bobby's little love affair on the boat it's like of course yeah he wants to look out for his daughter but it's also kind of like like almost more pathetic now because he's like it's like you know his ex-wife is like coming back to like you know ruin his uh, life and just it's just like (laughs) i don't know it's just like it's just so like it's such a bigger mess than even realized yeah it's like the animal trapping game's getting bad my (laughs) daughter's trying to marry this weasel and my ex-wife is in town now (laughs) yeah it's it's no, it's no good. It basically gets more intense as the gorilla suit man comes back. You know, we got a little shot of the man in the gorilla suit in a cage, and he was pretty still. So it's like maybe that was a real gorilla. The first yeah, time you see what, it, that, that's, that's what you're thinking. And I was then, like, that's a fucked up. I was like, that's a weird looking gorilla. Like I, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought for a second that it was like a like a oversized baby gorilla or something like that. <laughs> like a baby gorilla that was just huge, but. It was. It, it gets like yeah. more and more intense though. There's like this one shot, like after the gorilla is introduced, his name is Rango. Bobby gets a kiss from each girl, like at the same time, pretty much. And it's such a funny scene. And the, Otoyo is like, oh, "You're blushing because my mom kissed you or something." He's like, "Oh!" He just starts like <laughs> cracking up. It is, yeah. It is this Bobby. Bobby's so funny in this movie because he's the worst person. Like, just yeah. cheats relentlessly. <laughs> like, shows no like. You know, easy criticism, but it's just like everything works out for him in the end. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's not like the movie's not about him, too, which also kind of makes it funny that just kind of like this this fourth most important character who's just kind of like a, a part of the plot. Just like everything works out for him. Yeah. He, he like he has to make the decision. But really, he didn't have to. But we, we get to see him make the decision that it's like, okay, I'm not going to go for this girl's mom. Like, I'm just going to, yeah. I'm just going to chill. After, uh, you know, spending a good night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then Lon Chaney lets the gorilla loose into the mom's room <laughs> and just him like skulking, like going up the staircase after he let the gorilla loose is so funny. Just some of his most like just villainous but like comical acting too because it's just it's the intro for a gorilla suit scene and it's awesome uh i i think it's really funny and uh you know they're terrified and hiding and stuff and it's it's a classic love wins out uh ending despite the absolutely like punishingly masochistic tone it's like a 60 minute movie that feels much longer in a way not in a bad way just in a way that's like this movie feels like you're being trapped, you know? It feels like you're going to walk into one of Lon Chaney's animal traps or he's going to, you know, just snarl at you from a distance. 
I mean, I feel like all these like confusing motivations just like make Bobby all the more cowardly and a Cheney's motivation of like not telling his daughter right away, like just because he's concerned about her happiness and like just hearing about this fucked up love triangle in general would probably just destroy her. It, it adds like a, a sense of nobility to his cause, but it's immediately ruined by like him just like fucking like, <laughs> I mean, being a cuck about it and then killing his ex-wife with a gorilla yeah and killing your ex-wife with a gorilla is insane like he eventually goes in there to rip the gorilla off of her i guess or to get it back in the cage and like he gets injured or whatever and it's pretty funny to see like a wounded lawn cheney after he's like yeah he's gonna be okay you know he's gonna be okay he just killed his wife with a gorilla (laughs) that's true you get you kind of get a nice shot towards the end that's kind of like low to the perspective of where his wheelchair is as you see him go off and yeah i think it is like you know, considering this is like it's a short movie, but it's like these scenes are kind of like long and these scenes are mostly just kind of like people in a room talking mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah, like it is like these kind of just the confusing and juggling of all these tensions that it's like, OK, you know, I'm not saying I sympathize with Lon Chaney, but it's just like the way he was acting. It's like it's all leading to this. Like, it's so funny just to see him with the hat and like suit get up just kind <laughs> of snarling because it's like I think of his other roles and it's just like, you know, it's. He's a little bit more, you know, down in the dirt, you know, or something or just like uh, or he's not dressing as nice. Yeah. I yeah. feel like in, in contrast to the unknown, this yeah. is like such a less sympathetic role, obviously. Yeah. And that's what makes it so much more of a punishing viewing like the unknown. You know, he's up to some sus shit, but like you just feel for him because I feel like. I feel like Cheney plays into the melodrama in a much more sympathetic way in something like The Unknown. Yeah. Uh, and in this one, it's just like, I don't know, I guess, you you know, more than anything you feel for the young couple is kind of the audience uh, viewpoint or whatever, uh, audience identification, like something like The Black Cat, where it's like mm-hmm. you have this young couple just as a an excuse for the audience to watch an all-star, you know, actor. Uh, but it... I don't know. I, I like it a lot, just not quite as much as the yeah. that, that great level of something like The Unknown. Yeah, I feel like it's, I don't know, it, it's doing a lot of really good things, but not enough to like differentiate it to like a really great status. There's one scene that we didn't talk about that I really love early on, because as we've talked about, there's a lot of skulking and staring where I feel like Cheney doesn't have as much like physicality there, but an early scene where he's like, sort of hopping around it's when he comes back from his first expedition and he sees toyo again and they're like um hopping around pretending to be animals and that's like (laughs) intercut with like little shots of the animals surrounding them i just love that little beat and like i don't know adds to like the looming presence of animal violence and ultimately like the type of brutality that cheney succumbs to there yeah, I think the animal violence thing is also a big point to look at because it's like it's how he makes his what living and it's this like this display of animals in the film. It's just such a different way of looking at animals versus people. Like I feel like in the last, you know, it, it's not that enlightened of a thing to say, but yeah. in the last 90 years, uh, obviously the way people view animals versus humans has changed a lot. Uh, but I, I don't know. I feel like that does contribute to that like darkness of this film is that all he's doing is just like 
capturing exotic animals to often be sent off to circuses just like the freaks to be you know pointed at and gawked at i mean i feel like that's something in terms of like also the racist aspects of a lot of like these early silent films like and how they examine culture is like from a western perspective viewing them as like primitive cultures and like that in, in the animal trapping way, I think like is a part of uh, uh, no horror that uh, an audience member in the twenties would see. Yeah. Also, just like the you know like the you know, like cuts to the animals just looking you know during scenes and stuff like that. I mean, it's even kind of explicitly mentioned when uh, um, the seductress returns back, the mom that like like tigers talking to him like, oh, the gorilla like remembers you and like you know doesn't d- d- remembers what you did to it and like is not a fan. And it's just like <laughs> I'm just like a weird implication like. That there's, I don't know, like, what are they doing to these animals? Are they yeah. whipping these animals or some shit what like that? What did she do what, to that animal? What did she do? Did she fuck that animal? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> That's because he gives her the, one of the darkest scowls in the movie. Yeah. And then the inner title says, a gorilla never forgets who hurts them. It's yeah. Like, Jesus. That was, <laughs> that was like one of the more serious beats. I mean, it sets up how she fucking dies. So yeah. it has to be some sort of serious implied backstory. It also is worth noting that the longest version of the film I could find on OK Roo was like 63 minutes or so. That's about the Dave Care review lists it at 75, I think. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it like listed longer, not places where you can watch it, anything like that. So like most silent cinema, you never know what's been lost over the years too. It might not be a fully complete movie anymore. That's true too. Something to consider. You never know. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, we're going to do something a little unorthodox here. Uh, how about we go to an email segment on the Patreon on the Absolutely. After Hours? These, you know, if you're paying, you deserve to, you know, hear your question answered. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, we're, oh, that that should be true. I should only <laughs> answer the questions of patrons, maybe. Actually, maybe no. not. Fuck them. Well, no, because that's, that's the that's incentive the to, to yeah. get behind the paywall. I like that little hand motion. You get a little <laughs> teaser. <laughs> uh, the listeners will never know what I did with my hands. <laughs> I think you could guess. <laughs> <laughs> Our email, uh, the housewarming email, comes from Valerie. And it says, or she says, the email is the it here. Let me take that over. <laughs> Full transparency, keeping it in, just working out the process here. Actually, one of you guys want to read the email? Sure. Let no, me. next time. I was going to say, we're going to have to get over there. Yeah, it's, JT is so cozy. here. But I just, I'm, I don't need to. JT has been <laughs> in the same seat for the last four hours since we got here. <laughs> Valerie says, hey, fellas. I know I said in a previous email I have no more questions about movies, but I have one thought. Do you have any favorite character actors? The classic, oh yeah, it's them thing people love to talk about. Are there any you don't think are talked about often enough? Also, I'm going to clarify this can be from any era. I hope you all are enjoying the new studio space. Thanks, Valerie. Well, you know, to be honest, the classic, uh, and you know, you guys could, I'll go out, no phone for me. I don't need to look up anything. Yeah. But, okay. uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I, you know, I sometimes struggle with actor names, especially the character actors. So one that just kind of comes to mind up front is Peter Stromer. I'm always, always happy when he's in a movie because he's just got a, a super like intense presence. Often plays, you know, villains. I was gonna say uh, for yeah. the for the folks at home who don't know Peter Stromer, what what may they recognize him? Uh, Eight millimeter. He's okay. one of the guy. He's uh he's like the main 
like he's kind of the ring leader operator mm. in eight millimeter who's like running the snuff syndicate and i he's in a lot of other stuff too that i, I don't remember um i but, my oh go ahead sorry but i was gonna say i guess it's like that's with character actors and stuff like that like i feel like the stronger ones are like ones i don't know i just remember like like flashes of their performance in a movie and i don't even really remember the movie itself i just remember yeah. them acting in it for like seven minutes yeah i mean uh, looking at stromare uh now i mean the two coen brothers movies is and definitely made an impression on me his roles in fargo and lebowski i can't remember what he did oh no in armageddon i remember him now too see that's the best thing about those guys actors like uh or uh or that lady actors where it's yeah. just like you just look at the filmography and you don't even remember exactly what they did in the movie, but you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that's right. But uh, JT. I have two that I just uh, thought of, that like instantly came to mind, but had to place like uh, names and performances entirely. And both are character actors in the Ford canon. And I would say Walter Brennan and Ward Bond are like some of my all-time favorites. Like Walter Brennan in general, like his iconic role in Rio Bravo as Stumpy is something that like I just, my dad and I like talk about Rio Bravo like a lot, like every time it's on and he oh. watches it, he tells me and just uh, Stumpy is always a, a key figure to be remembered. <laughs> but Brennan is just sort of like, I feel like he did a lot of the sort of um, in westerns like the grizzled old prospector guy yeah. sort of voice character um, and is more like comic relief but when he does have the chance to take like center stage I think can do a lot of really beautiful dramatic performances at one point I was like because I, I was really hyped on Brennan and I was going to change my like Twitter picture to Brennan, but then I was like, he was super racist. Oh yeah, like an active like Klansman, like saying racist things on set that. kind of guy. Yeah, and uh, Chevy yeah. Chase. Yeah. So it's hey, can't but all be winners. His you know his villainous turn in My Darling Clementine, I think feeds into that. Like yeah. he he is pure evil in that movie because that's the thing. I think he might be the most lovable character actor of classic Hollywood, uh, just like Stumpy and to have and have not in that movie oh, too. Oh yeah. yeah. Him and Bogey on the boat, like that's guys being dudes. Yeah. That is the ultimate, oh, yeah. just like dude cinema moment. Um, but of course, it, you know, him just being a virile racist is like <laughs> terrible. That's uh, no good. Uh, one I always think of is Kevin Corrigan. Malcolm and I watched Superbad again last night, uh, just kind of in the background. But Corrigan there is so incredible as the guy at the party in the Brazil national team jersey <laughs> who beats the shit out of the probably pedophile character Joe Latruglio. Uh, but Kevin Corrigan, you know, he's been in a couple Scorsese movies in very small parts. Uh, I believe in Goodfellas. Is he the one stirring the sauce? I don't know. I'm not a Goodfellas nerd. I've seen it fucking Me twice. Neither. He's in Goodfellas in a, in a little bit, but in his smaller roles, he he you know it becomes the that guy thing. But then in his meteor roles in the smaller independent films that he's in, uh, really gives a time to shine. Like the one we talked about a couple of weeks ago on this show, Walking and Talking by Nicole Holof Center. He's incredible in that. The range from the the schlubby video store, My Bloody Valentine T-shirt, gore freak to the guy who wants to beat up Jonah Hill because uh, his girlfriend perioded on Jonah Hill. <laughs> uh, incredible. Keith David is another one oh, that's like amazing. And that's that's the thing. It's like what's 
like someone i guess philip seymour hoffman he gets called like a character actor a lot but he has a lot of lead roles yeah i know? think like after a while people realized that phil Ho- phil i can't i if i call him phil hoffman one more time you guys <laughs> actually have to punch me because i'm not his friend philly I, phil yeah like i don't know <laughs> phil anyone who has ever known him p.i.s because uh, I always just type out push, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I'm not used to saying his name. Pish. That's how my grandma says. Uh, I forgot if that means number one or number two, but she says pish. She says I gotta go pish. Oh, I think that means poop though. I when think you, it means poop. When he said number one, I was literally thinking about not like the bathroom number one, just yeah. like saying the phrase number yeah. one. Like, that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> one, one plus one equals pish. It's yeah. very true. Uh, Keith David, of course, is definitely one where it's just like you hear the voice even and you're there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Luis Guzman is one for a lot of, you know, the stuff that got me really into cinema, the, you know, classic like 90s and 2000s or really mainly like 90s stuff. Like people like him, it's just so comforting to see in a movie. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You guys have any? I idea? to top it off, I think with um, a big, I'd say probably the most one of the most iconic character actors, uh, Stephen Root. Mm. I really like. I mean, especially for his like voice performance roles, like on King of the Hill, just like oh, yeah. really giving it in as Bill, like throughout the years. Yeah. I think that's one of my like favorite like characters of all time. Yeah, I feel like TV actually might be where there's more like the, there's a lot of people who have had small roles on a handful of sitcoms you know and they're mm-hmm. they're just they're the ones doing the real work and i gotta be honest i'm not the guy remembering the name <laughs> yeah. i i'm i it's been you know we've been doing the show for a couple of years now i think people probably recognize how terrible i am at re- remembering actors names when i don't have them written down in front of me uh it's just not how i watch movies despite my love for a lot of character actors and you know leading people too it's yeah it's just not the way my brain operates i guess uh but you know it's like so many fairly brothers movies you think of it's just like there's there's a great character performance in there on the side from someone that you can't remember at the True. moment <laughs> I, i'll go a little maybe a little bit of a deeper cut maybe not lee j cobb always fan of a lee j cobb performance okay. coogan's bluff thieves highway are two performances that come to mind and i think he might have worked with siegel a bit and uh, seeing him and Clint kind of bounce kind of salty humor off each other in yeah. Coogan's Bluff is a, it's an enjoyable sight. You know, I'll go, I'll go uh, Dennis Franz. Oh, Dennis Franz fucking rules. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> give it to, gotta give it up for the Franz because he made the jump to the TV and you know just like let his career ride like for a <laughs> minute, you know. And uh, but you know, peak Franz, peak sleazy '80s Franz is like he could show up in any of those fucking movies. And it's like, of course, yeah. Oh, and the fucking most obvious one ever that will end on Harry Dean Stanton. Rest oh, yeah. in peace to the god, Bill Duke. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Sorry. not even better, but close. I just I had to yeah, I just get my names in. <laughs> you know what? While we're just getting names in, it's kind of ridiculous that I didn't mention like Lamb Suit, especially like in all the Johnny Toe movies he's in. Uh come on. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And Dick Miller. Like I I think we need to do some sort of penance for not mentioning both of those two. So maybe an episode on I don't know, with those two in mind coming soon. That's going to do it for the first uh, after hours in the Grandma's Boy studio. I don't know what we're doing on the Patreon next week. Yeah. So I guess we'll see you for episode 100 in a few days.
See? Yeah. We have another email, but I'm going to save it. For, it's like more for the hundred one. Okay. So perfect. Nice. We'll save it. Um, yeah. Bye. You, you should have spoken to the pastor.